Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. With so much going on today, big presidential election, fears of coronavirus, an uncertain economy, and mounting evidence of climate change, how are Americans feeling today? What do they think about the direction of the country? Well, nobody has his finger on the pulse of Americans better than Peter Hart on every front, but especially on the political front. On every election night since 1964, Peter Hart has done analysis of election results for either CBS or NBC News, and he's been the lead pollster for NBC News and The Wall Street Journal since 1989. He's also done polling for some 40 governors, 55 U.S. senators, and several presidential candidates, including Bill Clinton and Teddy Kennedy. To catch up with today's national trends, we sat down with Peter Hart at the headquarters of Hart Research in downtown Washington. Peter Hart, it's good to see you again. Delighted. Thanks so much for uh, giving us giving us some time. So, um, things a lot's going on these days. The economy is tanking. The Dow today fell so far that for the first time in a long time, uh, the market actually um, what cut stop trading. Uh, for for long enough to catch up. We're in the middle of this bruising primary battle for the Democratic Party. Uh, people are worried about the coronavirus, now over 500 cases in the United States. So how do you read the mood of the country right now? What are people thinking? Well, I think the most important thing is people are scared, they're uncertain, they're worried about where we're headed. Uh, and on the big front, there isn't a sense that looking ahead things are going to be together, where the country feels a unification in any respect. Because what we're in at this stage is silo politics. And that is, since the beginning of the Trump administration, the president's job rating with Republicans has volleyed between about 86% and 93% approval. Among Republicans? Among Republicans. Among Democrats, it's been between 6% and 12%. And so essentially, it's two different worlds that we're living at, uh, in mm -hmm. the United States. And is there any way that they're going to become one world again? Is there anybody you see out there that can bring people together? Well, it's not necessarily a person. I think that it is going to be a sense of, how do we bring this country back together? I think this is more likely to be what I call a transitional election rather than a transformational election. The, the voters really are not ready to strike into a brand new era. Uh, and I think what we're going to look for is somebody that's going to bring a certain amount of stability uh, that we don't have at this stage of the game. And there are lots of areas where I think that we're much closer together uh, as a country than the political world is. Well, so the one indication that I've always been fascinated by, 
uh, are, are, when people are asked, are you happy with the direction of the country? Or do you feel good about the direction the country's going in, which I find more interesting than how they feel about a particular candidate or whatever. Right. What's, what's, what's that tell us today? Well, it's so fascinating because uh, this question was, uh, was originated by uh, Elmo Roper, or Burns Roper, actually, in 1971. And so it almost has a half a century of life. And it's been a standard question we've asked. Uh, and it has been a marvelous barometer, sort of, to the American psyche. And yet, over the past 20 years, it has been negative uh, completely, with the exception of small blips here and there where people have gotten very positive. Negative meaning they're not happy with the direction the A majority going. of Americans have said uh, the country's seriously off on the wrong track. And that has been since 9-11. And again, slight blips right. where it will come. And the difference at this stage of the game goes back to what I just said, silo politics. It used to be a marvelous barometer. Now it's being thrown off because Republicans feel they must say right direction or more of them uh, in order to support Trump. Therefore, it's a less good measurement uh, than in the past when people said, I'm not talking about the president, I'm talking about the country. Right. So specifically in dealing with the coronavirus, um, are people afraid and is that fear justified, do you believe? Uh, are people afraid? Yes. Uh, Bill McInturf, my uh, partner on the NBC Wall Street Journal poll, uh, he did a series of measurements. And what he found out is people are afraid, but they were more afraid of Ebola uh, in mm. a similar period of time. Now, this is the beginning of uh, coronavirus, and we don't know where it's going to go. But at this stage of the game, you can feel the fear level uh, rising, rising quickly. And I think that it's going to be a tremendous effect on the presidential election. Because if we can segue into Donald Trump, right? Yeah. what it really is, is a crisis is something that a president has an opportunity to show leadership and his character. And sometimes during the worst periods of time, uh, a leader goes way up in terms of their popularity. And I've seen it with governors and I've seen it with presidents. The difficulty is for Donald Trump, everything is filtered through what it means for me or to me. And that's the worst place to be in a crisis because what the country looks for is a leadership and a direction. And what they're getting is sort of, at this moment, a series of spasmatic kinds of, uh, of results or suggestions or policies. It also seems to me that people need confidence in their leaders at this time, right? That, that their leaders know what the hell they're talking about and, um, and recognize maybe the seriousness of the moment. We don't get that information or that from, uh, leadership from the White House. Uh, it's so interesting because, again, when you talk about the president, uh, from the beginning of his administration, uh, we have been measuring at the NBC Wall Street Journal poll how people feel about his performance, and we've looked at various things. And uh, I put in a term called steady and reliable 
right in January of 2017, because I thought mm -hmm. that was going to be an important thing to measure over a period of time. That measurement is obviously going down. But the Pew organization, which just does marvelous research also, had a measurement which was called self-centered. And among the American public, 80% described Donald Trump as self-centered. Uh, prejudicial, uh, 60% of the American public. Uh, when it comes to uh, honest, it's 36%. Even-tempered is 27%. So those are sort of uh, the guide rails, uh, uh, guardrails and guide rails, <laughs> uh, to sort of where we are in terms of looking at this president. And to go back to your question, it is in a period of time like this that a president ends up with a set of credentials which provides and says, this is somebody I want to lead my country. And well, this is somebody I can trust. This is somebody I can believe. At the basis of all of those things. Do you think uh, the administration's response would be more believable if they put, um, for example, Anthony Fauci at the podium and not Donald Trump? <laughs> Well, and not Mike Pence. Well, the the difficulty, of course, is that any time you get an expert, it obviously provides a certain amount of reassurance to people. But usually, a president uh, has the ability to provide a sense of hope, a sense of optimism. But what the president, uh, President Trump, has chosen to do is to again sort of allay fears by dismissing them. It's uh, if we were back in Savonarola's days, he'd say it, the leader, it, Donald Trump, would say, well, there aren't that many books being burnt, you know, I mean, and it just misses uh, what's going on. Yeah. No, even uh, as of this morning, the president is still tweeting out, this is nothing to worry about. More people die from the flu. This is all going away. It's, it's the media's fault, and they're, they keep reporting on the number of deaths and uh, basically saying, what me worry? We don't know how this all works out or where it is, but there are markers for a president where voters stop and they get a measure of somebody. And is that why you say that you think this could have an impact on the 2020 election? I do. Uh, I definitely do. Uh, I, I have a theory, and that is... Every election uh, tells us something about the country on who we are and where we're at. And I felt about the 1980 election that the voters had made up their mind in 1979 at Labor Day. And by that stage, we'd had the gas crisis, we'd had all of the malaise and everything that Jimmy Carter uh, was dealing with. And then... Uh, Carter appeared to have a rise after the hostage crisis and defeating Teddy Kennedy. But the voters, essentially, I think, always were clear-eyed on this. And the election looked very, very, very close throughout uh, all of the things with Teddy Kennedy running a third-party mm -hmm. candidate, uh, third candidate. And in the end of the day, uh, the voters had one debate, and it was a landslide, because all they needed to do was be reassured that Ronald Reagan was okay. And I look at 2020, 
40 years past in 1980, and I see parallels here where the voters need a reassurance of what the Democrats are going to do and who their candidate's going to be. Which gets us to, here we are uh, as we speak, a week from Super Tuesday. You and I have been around politics a long time. Have you ever seen anything like what happened, the upheaval, total upheaval we saw on Super Tuesday? Well, it's fascinating, and obviously you have to start back with South Carolina uh, and Congressman Clyburn uh, in terms of his uh, effect. But what it told us from Super Tuesday is it was much more about what the voters were saying than about what the candidates were saying. And what it said to me is Democrats are so focused on defeating Donald Trump that they ran over all the stop signs and everything else in order to get to Joe Biden. And it's not that Joe Biden has become a new candidate <laughs> or that all of his uh, shortcomings or associations have disappeared. It is the voters are so uh, so desirous of finding the most effective candidate, they made a decision collectively. It is clearly uh, it is clearly Joe Biden. Do you believe that that augurs well for turnout in November well, and the, in the remaining primaries? Well, what we learned, uh, and this is the NBC Wall Street Journal poll uh, data, is that uh, interest in the election in the fall of uh, 19 was as great as it has ever been in October of an even year. And so anybody who thinks this is going to be a question of will people turn out, the answer is it is not at all. Everybody is going to, and Republicans care as much as Democrats. So the idea that one side is directly favored, no. Uh, the Democrats have an advantage in terms of party uh, ID, and if the Democrats turn out, which they will, it puts the president at a great disadvantage and the Republicans. How, what do you see? You, you, I, I, I agree with you that, that Super Tuesday did speak more about the voters than the candidates, but still they saw something in Joe Biden they didn't see in Bernie Sanders. Was it strictly their feeling that he's got a better chance of beating Donald Trump, or are there qualities in Joe Biden that they value over what they see in Bernie Sanders? Well, it, it, first of all, yes, they, they wanted to defeat Donald Trump right. and not to miss that. But in terms of Joe Biden, there are all kinds of great qualities. He's very human. He's very down to earth. He is a person that is optimistic. He's a person that sort of represents what we call uh, middle American values, uh, small town from Scranton. And he remains a person from Scranton rather than somebody who is a big urban person. And it is that people feel comfortable with him. And there is a human quality. He is a person who relates to people. All of that works as uh, a great strength for the vice president. And without saying so, you're saying you don't see that same empathy with Bernie Sanders? Or well, people don't? Bernie Sanders is a different candidate, and what he is is a cause candidate. And it's not to misunderstand or 
uh, underrepresent the importance that he is uh, that he represents in this election. He represents people who want change in a major way, and that's slightly less than half of all uh, Democratic voters. But they want to see uh, structural change, and he represents that. And that element is not to be dismissed. And what it really comes down to is how do the Democrats come out of the primaries? It's not how they went into the primaries or how many candidates they are, but it's the question, do they stick the landing? And what I mean is coming out of Milwaukee, mm -hmm. is there a sense that this is a party that is intent on winning and it's not personal grievances, it is a sense of what our goal is. Now, on the other side, as you point out, the Trump base is certainly fired up. But you know the numbers so much better than I, but I've, I haven't seen, I don't think, Donald Trump in the approval, job approval rating break 50. It's been 42, 46 maybe. Uh, what does that say about a president seeking re-election? Great question. Looking at Donald Trump, he is the only president in the history of public opinion polling who has never had a day, an hour, or a minute where 50% of Americans approved of his job rating or approved of him personally. And essentially, he has always been a minority president from that point of view. And it's amazing when you consider the economic uh, success that America has had during his period of time. And what it represents is how negative people feel about him on all his personal characteristics. And in the end of the day, we usually like our presidents. And Joe Biden is somebody who's likable. Uh, Bernie Sanders, less so. But so can a president who has never been above 50% get reelected? Donald Trump cannot win a referendum. If the voters are voting up or down on Donald Trump, I guarantee you that he loses. He can win a comparative election. I don't like Donald Trump, but I don't like candidate X worse. In 2016... Which may have been what happened in 2016. Brings me right to that point. And in 2016, we were measuring at NBC Wall Street Journal the, uh, the number of people who said, I have a negative opinion on Donald Trump and on Hillary Clinton. At the beginning of the campaign in June, after they were both the nominees, uh, essentially 15% said, I have negative viewpoint on each of them. And those people were voting about even between the two with a large half the voters still undecided mm -hmm. or voting for a third party candidate. And that continued pretty much the way until we reached September. At that stage of the game, Donald Trump went ahead by about 10 points with those people. And at the end of the campaign, he won those people 47 to 30. Mm. And the importance of that is that essentially those people said, I dislike or hate Hillary Clinton worse than Donald Trump. And that group is going to be important to look at 
do they have negative viewpoints on both of them and how they break? At this stage of the game, Donald Trump can only win one way, and that is to make his opponent uh, the choice in the election. He needs to be able to have a comparative election, not a referendum. Uh, just this morning, I saw a couple of new polls. Um, I forget which they are. I would give them credit. Both of which showed Donald Trump in a general election today losing to both Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Should we believe those polls? Uh, as a reflection of today, yes. Uh, everybody wants to project polls as it'll be the same in three months or six months or whatever else it is. They're only a reflection of the moment that we're in. Uh, but every poll that we have done, uh, we have Donald Trump running behind any candidate, even many of those who have gotten uh, out, of the, uh, out of the circle. Right. We're talking with Peter Hart of Hart Research, a master uh, follower of national trends in this country uh, for long time. <laughs> We're not going to say how long. Uh, and we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back and pick up. Bill Press Pod brought to you today by the United Steelworkers, the great men and women of the USCW, America's largest industrial union, representing some 1.2 million active and retired members in the United States, Canada, and the Caribbean. Their goal to re-energize America's steel manufacturing and bring those steel manufacturing jobs back to America under the leadership of President Thomas Conway and of Leo Girard, President Emeritus of the Steelworkers. Check out their website at usw.org. We thank them for their great work and their support of the Bill Press Pod. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back here on the Bill Press Pod uh, speaking with uh, Peter Hart about uh, national trends, trends of the day, the Democratic primary, coronavirus, and lots of good stuff. Uh, so, Peter, uh, uh, not to get personal, but um, I want to ask you about polling um, because today maybe 
members of Congress are the least trusted people, members of the media after that, but pollsters are down there as well as not being trusted. A lot of people say you just can't believe all of these polls. Can we? Hopefully they're talking about the polls, not the pollsters. <laughs> uh, but we'll accept it on either front. Uh, in terms of polls, uh, they're more challenged than uh, any time. And I love to tell the story about George Gallup Sr. Some 50 years ago, uh, a woman came running up to him after uh, an appearance at a garden club or something and said, uh, said to him, I have... And I have never been polled, suggesting that mm -hmm. somehow you couldn't trust the polls. And George Gallup Sr. said to him, and said to this woman, look, your chances of being a respondent are no better than your chances of being struck by lightning. And the woman said, but I have been struck by lightning. <laughs> and, and, and the fact is now it's just the opposite. The pollsters are everywhere, every two seconds, and our problem is everybody refuses. Mm. So how do you get this? And right. we're now into a new era. We're doing a lot, not the NBC Wall Street Journal poll, but doing a lot of the interviewing online, and that has advantages, but you can't do a national sample in the same way, and you can't talk about the margin of error being plus or minus. And what something. I keep hearing is yeah. you can't trust these pollsters because everybody uses their cell phone today. Nobody answers their home phone if they don't know what they've got call waiting, if they don't know uh, who's calling. And so how can this be an accurate reflection? How can you get enough people on home phones? And if you do, aren't they just old geezers? Uh, Old geezers, I hate that word. Oh, I'm sorry, I, uh, I don't think I've used it in a long time. I'm sorry to roll it out. <laughs> only, only because of my age. Uh, in in any respect, uh, we now do again NBC Wall Street Journal poll. Uh, over half of our interviews are done uh, are done uh, on cell phones. So, really? Yes, and you cannot be in this business and not use the mm -hmm. cell phone and uh it's much harder it's much more expensive but it's the only way that you can do it now our problem for and every pollster is getting people to respond everybody gets all of these calls robocalls and everything else and you call as a pollster it's very hard now we have an advantage when we phone we say we're calling for nbc and the wall street journal and people think that lester holt's on the other end of the line and so they're more likely to cooperate but but the point is polling is much more difficult at this stage but uh, it still continues to provide what I think is a pretty good view of where the American public is. And even as you look at 2016, everybody said the polls got it wrong. Well, take our poll. We had Hillary Clinton winning by four points. And I said, well, she lost. Yeah, no, she didn't lose. She lost the uh, electoral vote, but she lost. The, uh, she won the popular vote by two points. If she had won the electoral votes, everybody mm -hmm. said it was a great day. We've got to continue to uh, tighten on the kinds of methodology and everything we're doing. But uh, a well-done poll still provides a pretty good insight into so the American those, public. If, if people, those who do agree to spend, what, five, ten minutes on Ooh, the line? Don't you don't no? you wish we could do it that quickly? Uh, no, our, our interviews for NBC and the Wall Street Journal uh, range from 15 to 20 minutes. 
that's a, that's a lot yeah, of time. Yeah, there's a lot of time. You but assume it's fascinating questions. <laughs> <laughs> you assume that people who will give you 20 minutes are going to tell the truth. Oh, I don't think the truth problem is is really? a difficulty. I mean, when you get into issues of prejudice, uh, that's more uh, difficult. But if you're a Trump voter, you are as proud to be a Trump voter as if you're a Bernie Sanders voter. So people don't have any difficulty expressing their point of view. In many cases, they may not be knowledgeable about a subject, and uh, so you're representing attitudes in something that they're not fully informed on. But overall, the uh, the attitudes that we get and the results, very comfortable with them. In the current issue of uh, New Yorker magazine, the initial talk of the town piece by Jill Lepore uh, makes the point that, again, look, how, why can you trust these pollsters? They all got it wrong in 2016. You've already responded to that. And she's, but she goes on to say that she thinks the problem, I thought this was very strong, is not just that they sometimes get it wrong, but but the danger of polling, meaning that it, it kind of, I think, gives people the chance, oh, they've answered a poll, they don't have to do anything more about democracy. That's, that's enough. They don't have to get out and work or vote or contribute or walk precincts. I have ultimate respect for Jill, and I appeared uh, uh, at the Shorenstein Center at, uh, at Harvard with her. And she is, uh, she is marvelous, but on this point, I have to disagree. That essentially, uh, people who take polls are not less, to, uh, less likely to vote. They're probably more likely to vote. More importantly, I think it's terribly important in a democratic society to find out what people are thinking on a whole range of public policy issues that go far beyond the election. And in many cases, the polls are ahead of the people. And if you go all the way back to the Vietnam War, the American public was way ahead. Mm. On Watergate, the same thing. I think on so many issues, the American public give you a real sense of where the middle is and sort of uh, the guts of the American public. So do we depend and and pay too much attention to the horse race poll? Of course we do. Uh, and they're probably the least reflective of what's going on. Well, it, it's reflective, but it's not uh, proscriptive. And that is, it just represents where attitudes are at the moment. What you really want to understand is what are the uh, what's the zeitgeist of an election? What are the voters looking for? What are where are they coming from? And I think that's in in 2016. I did a series of focus groups, and if and they were published and covered pretty extensively. And if you go back and listen to the people, boy, you can get a sense of exactly where they were coming from and how unhappy they were. This is long before Donald Trump ever got into it. You could see the dynamics. And I think you can see the dynamics of an election through polls and then suddenly we get to the end, and sometimes we say, boy, we're really surprised. No, you're not surprised. You just didn't look at the mm -hmm. data and get it in the right uh, in the right scope. I'd like to ask, uh, as a member of the media, how you rate the impact of the media on what people are thinking about how the country is going, um, how the primary election is going. Um, are they... Are they telling you what they think or what they've heard on Fox News or NPR? 
Well, you certainly get a reflection of the newscast. I mean, the interesting thing is that for the first time, we now analyze data uh, in the NBC Wall Street Journal poll also on the basis of what they're listening to or watching. You ask so, them. Yes, we ask them, and then we break it out and look at what MS uh, NBC people are thinking, mm. what Fox people are thinking, what CNN people, and those who just watch uh, the major networks. So, yes, it has a tremendous impact on them. Uh, but the other part of it is in terms of, uh, of the coverage. Yes, the coverage affects people, but boy... When we asked people at the end of last year how good a year it was for America, one of the best, above average, average, below average, or one of the mm -hmm. worst. And we've done this now for 30 years for NBC and the Wall Street Journal. Last year was perceived as one of the better years. And you say, well, but think about all of these things and think about what happened here. For the American public, they've gone through different years, and they looked at last year as a pretty good year. And then when you ask them what it is about last year, the economy was half the chart. Mm -hmm. And so they bring it through their own cylinder and not necessarily through the news cylinder. And this is how I feel, and this is what I saw. And so you look at 2020, and if I'd only had that piece of data... I would have said to you, is, is like Ronald Reagan in 1984. He is going into this year where people think it's morning in America. Right. And if you were a different individual and had a different personality, the answer is this should be an easy reelection because of who he is. He's upside down. And I honestly believe that at this stage of the game, if the American public has to have a referendum on him, they are not going to vote for him for re-election. And what Joe Biden brings at this stage, we don't know what kind of candidate he will be and what he will do. He represents a certain stability and that transition that the public is looking for at this stage. Peter Hart, good luck at what's going on in America today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that's a wrap for this edition of the Bill Press Pod with Peter Hart. Thanks so much for joining us. And again, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. Just go to wherever you're listening to this podcast, click on Bill Press Pod, and then click on subscribe, and you are in. And it would be great if you would tell your friends to do the same. Also, follow me on Twitter for uh, all my latest rants about whatever's happening, and to be sure you're notified of the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Follow me on Twitter at Bill Press Pod, at Bill Press Pod. That's it for today. Stay strong. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.